Tactical sports take. Inbound. Who the fuck is that guy? Beat him off. Stomp on his head as he's unconscious. Five-tool commentator. <laughs> he's the Willie Mays of sports <laughs> broadcasting. DiMaggio. It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Owen Ely Show. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. we got a great one for you today here on this Tuesday, November 23rd, as we have a uh, very special uh, show today. It's just one segment, and it's the much ballyhooed return of uh, Mailman's Matchmaking, where uh, uh, usually on off weeks, uh, although we have been very lazy with this, i got to be honest, but on uh, off weeks, we go through uh, some matchmaking I, I would like to see happen in the UFC. Um, very fun speculation. And I tried to do my best. I think I have like a dozen fights here I'd really like to see. Um, I try to do my best to have them be high profile fights. You know, so I'm not doing, uh, wow, I think. Uh, I don't know, a fucking, you know, this, I think Arichi Lang should fight fucking Tagir Ulanbekov. It's not, you know, obscure fighters, obscure matchmaking, but I also try not to do super obvious ones. Uh, there are, there are some pretty super obvious ones on here, but I try not to do like, uh, Israel versus Robert Whitaker too, which I, which, uh, I think... If it's not technically on the books, it's so fucking obvious that that is going to be what happens. So I, you know, I try to try to put my thinking cap on for some of these. Some of them will be obvious, but uh, and that's pretty much it. That's the entire show. I don't even know how long it it'll last. It's just as long as uh, as long as it takes. Not we're not going to rush it. We're not going to rush it. You know, we might take our time. So. Uh, we will be discussing the rankings. I do have the updated rankings at northstarsports.media uh, forward slash blog. Uh, you'll find it under there or really anywhere. I mean, the website is so, you know, the UI on the website is just tremendous. You can get to any page from any page. So, you know, that's a little something for you computer people to learn from northstarsports.media or owenely.com. I mean, it's the same website. But uh, we'll start from the uh, heavier divisions and work our way down uh, to the female divisions because that's just kind of how I did it when I came up with this. Uh, going to go with a pretty obvious one here, but there's not a whole lot of steam on this. But I would like to see uh, Stipe Miocic fight John Jones at heavyweight. Now, again, I'm sorry for making this one pretty obvious. Uh, you know, I'm, I got to be honest, I, I wasn't the first one to come up with this idea, so I understand. But. Uh, the, the point remains, I want to see this one. John Jones is my favorite fighter, greatest fighter of all time. And it, it's a legacy fight. John Jones is not going to get an immediate uh, title shot at heavyweight uh, for many reasons. And there are many reasons why you would want to put him in there right away for a heavyweight title fight. But um, there is a little bit of question how he would transition, how, how um, he would perform at heavyweight. He's on an extended layoff, so that doesn't 
normally help. Uh, he's kind of a dickhead in every aspect of life, to put it mildly, in some of the aspects. And he's not in the good graces of the UFC, so I don't think they're going to give him a gift of, you know, hey, you want to fight for the heavyweight title? So in the meantime, let's take another kind of disgruntled guy who the UFC, practically speaking, doesn't like. The U- now, the UFC might like Stipe Miacic. In fact, most people like Stipe. I mean, he's a likable guy. But if you were to look at how the UFC has handled his career lately, you would swear they hate him. I mean, they made him wait for the DC rematch. Uh, you know, there, there was no discussion, no discussion of a rematch, uh, a trilogy fight with Francis Ngannou, even though Stipe dominated him just three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, holy shit, almost four years ago. Never mind. But point being, I mean, it's 1-1. Why is nobody talking about this? So it's not going to happen. Stipe's never going to get a fucking rematch with Francis Ngannou. So we have the heavyweight GOAT, or at least a lot of people might consider Stipe the heavyweight GOAT. We have the light heavyweight GOAT, really the GOAT of MMA in general. Let's give him a legacy fight because it seems like their path back to the title uh, in, well, for John Jones' case in either division, but in Stipe's heavyweight division, it, it really... I'm not saying it's it's certainly not impossible, but it's just kind of murky. We don't really know, you know, what's what's going to go on, and it doesn't seem like anytime soon there's going to be an opening. So let's have a fun legacy fight here. I think it'd be an interesting fight. Uh, Stipe has good takedown defense. We saw that uh, against uh, Daniel Cormier. So it'd be interesting to see how John John Jones wrestling would would uh, transition uh, up at heavyweight. Stipe's not the biggest heavyweight in the world, so it's not like John Jones would be going up against a Francis Ngannou, uh, who would present a lot of problems, but also, you know, uh, also is not a 265-pound, probably 275-pound after cutting down uh, man. So, you know, John Jones probably would weigh more than Stipe Miacic at heavyweight. John Jones probably would come in if he were to fight in the next couple of months, maybe 245 uh, 240, and Stipe, his, his weight kind of goes around, but any, anywhere from like 230 to 240, so I, I think that would be a fun legacy fight that's kind of independent of uh, the uh, titles in, in uh, well, the title in that division. Um, so that's all I had for heavyweight, light heavyweight, uh, I got one fight here, and it's a fight I don't think I've heard anybody say, um, we know Glover's going to fight Yuri. We don't really know what's up with Jan. Uh, but one one fight kind of buried in that division I'd like to see is Dominic Reyes and Paul Craig. How random is that? But I would love to see Dominic Reyes and Paul Craig. So I'm going to take a look at the rankings here at North Star Sports. We have Dominic Reyes at number six. We have Paul Craig at number 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I would love to see this fight because uh, Dominic Reyes, former title challenger, some people think he beat John Jones. I would call those people uh, crack smokers, but had a good performance against John Jones. He has dropped three fights in a row, and he's been knocked out uh, fairly bad by Jan Blahovich, knocked out uh, in, in legendary form by Yiri. Let's not... I don't want this to be boxing. And Paul... Paul Craig is not a give-me fight, so he's not a schlub, and I'll get to Paul Craig in a second. Um, But let's be very deliberate in our matchmaking. Dominic Reyes, 
let's not put him in there with a striker. Let's not put him in there with Jimmy Crute. We don't need Dominic Reyes to get CTE as a fucking 31-year-old. So let's give him a guy who is a submission specialist. Let's give him a guy who, uh, in all likelihood, is not going to flatline him. So stylistically, it's a fun matchup. It tests uh, Dominic Reyes's uh, wrestling and submission defense and all that type of stuff without the threat of him getting his fucking block knocked off for the third fight in a row. And for Paul Craig, um, I kind of like Paul Craig. And Paul Craig is one of these guys who's been in the UFC for a handful of years at this point. He's been here since 2016. And he's had some losses. He's had a fair amount of losses, actually. But he's on a five-fight unbeaten streak. And he is a guy who basically exclusively fights prospects. And he's pretty good at turning them back, actually. So, you know, he he knocked out, I guess technically, we'll we'll call it a a knockout, uh, of Jamal Hill. uh, Choked out uh, Gadzimur at Antigulov. Uh, you know, he, he, he pushed back uh, Kennedy uh, Chukwu. He had that uh, legendary finish uh, with one second to go against Magomed Ankalaev. He's not a guy who really fights outside of the two fights with Shogun, and Shogun was pretty, f- should have been pretty far out of the rankings at that point and is very old. He, he doesn't really get relevant fights. He's just kind of used as a litmus test for some of these younger prospects. Let's see if Paul Craig is legit. He's made improvements in his striking, which I think have accounted for uh, this five-fight unbeaten streak. So he's no longer just a submission guy, although he is a very dangerous... He might be the best submission guy in that entire division. Very, very good. So good, so dangerous off his back. But let's see how he does against Dominic Reyes. More of a more of a, a striker, a guy who's kind of been there, almost done that. Uh, and... You know, let's let's see if he's legit. I'm I'm kind of tired of you know giving Paul Craig a dozen prospect fights. Let's let's see if he's for real. And uh, so you know, I, I really like this one. I think I think there's a lot to gain for both fighters, which is why uh, I would I would put it together for Paul Craig. It could be a giant leap up in the rankings for Dominic Reyes. It could be a uh, you know just a win a, a win against a guy who stylistically is well. I guess it's you know it's. I guess you could be of two minds of it. You know, it could be a bad, it could be bad stylistically because Paul Craig is so good on the ground, but also it could be kind of good because, you know, he's not going to, not going to knock you out. And we know Dominic Reyes is not an elite level striker. Uh, moving on here to the middleweight division. Uh, the one fight I really want to see, and this is just more so for enjoyment. It's, it's less about uh, climbing your way to the title or anything like that. Uh, I would like to see Sean Strickland fight Darren Till. I feel like that would be an awesome uh, fight night main event. Um, maybe, maybe you put it uh, in London. You know, maybe in a couple of months. We'll see how the climate is. But maybe, maybe you put that in your first one back in uh, in England. But I would, I would love to see that Sean Strickland on uh, a, a five fight winning streak. I uh, had that really long layoff uh, post uh, motorcycle crash, and he's kind of he's kind of surprised me. Now Sean Strickland is a fucking psycho, and he's a psycho in the octagon and outside of the octagon. Darren Till's kind of a psycho in the octagon, and just a funny guy outside of the octagon. So I like it. Put it over 25 minutes. I would not want to see that over 15. That is a fight that you would have to put 
as a, a fight night main event. Uh, you would be doing it a disservice if it was 15. And it's just a very fun uh, top 10 middleweight fight you could put together. High level striking, good power on on both sides. And you know, for Sean Strickland, you know he's had some nice wins over uh, Brendan Allen. Uh, picked up uh, wins recently over uh, Jotko and Uriah Hall. So those are nice wins. Those, those are wins that put you in the rankings. But he needs to beat a big name. And you can't really underestimate the power of beating a, a name in this sport. You know, look at Leon Edwards. A bunch of wins. He has a bunch of wins. And he finally got a... a, a so we'll see if this changes because he finally got a win over Nate Diaz. But what did all those wins do for him? Fucking Nothing. They were against tough fighters. They were against, you know, Gunnar Nelson and guys like that. But they're not names, so nobody really gives a shit. It's just, oh, that's that one guy who beats up people I've never heard of. Well, you know, he beat up people that are pretty tough. So, you know, you could go on a eight-fight winning streak in the middleweight division. It, it kind of means fuck all unless you start beating uh, household names or, or, you know, at least fighters that, that people have... Uh, heard of casuals have heard of and and has a fan base that's just a reality of the sport so you know a lot on the line there for sean strickland sean strickland and then for darren till uh it's it's just to get a win it's it's fun stylistically it's a fight that darren till certainly could win it's you know sean strickland's not exactly a guy who's just going to continuously look to take you down and it kind of puts him right back in the title picture i mean the ufc has a hard on for darren till Israel Adesanya has a hard-on for Darren Till. So, you know, when you have the champion, and I, I get this was like a year ago, a year and a half ago or whatever, but, you know, when you have the champion mentioning a challenger's name, like, all all Darren Till had to do was beat Robert Whitaker and he gets a title shot. All he has to do is beat Jorge Masvidal and he gets a title shot. All he has to do is beat Derek Brunson and he gets a title shot. Like... He's no Leon Edwards. Like, the, the road to the title, even right now, having lost four of five, the road to the title for Darren Till is probably just winning one fight. Like, literally, that's all it would take because the champion wants to fight you and the UFC loves you, so it doesn't matter if there's more deserving fighters. Literally, all Darren Till needs a, is a win, and this would be a tough win, fun fight. Uh, you know, probably would get some additional steam towards uh, a title fight because if you beat Sean Strickland it's probably going to be in pretty impressive faction it's probably going to be a fight of the night so it's you're not just holding him down and grapple fucking him you know in boring fashion for 25 minutes you know nobody wants to see somebody fight for a title after that but you know if you knock out Sean Strickland or or, or even win a close split decision in, in a fight of the night this, you know that kind of rebuilds all the momentum for Darren Till um uh, Moving on, we have a handful of fights. We've got three fights I want to see in the welterweight division. I love the welterweight division. It's probably my second favorite division. You know, no, no, it's my first. It's my first. The welterweight, it's it's a goaded division. Uh, not the deepest. That belongs to the bantamweight division, but I love the welterweight division. Um, this one is fairly obvious, but I don't know if they'll do it. Uh, in fact, they probably won't do it, but I just feel like I should say it because it, it should be the rightful next fight uh, for the welterweight title. It has to be Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, too. That has to be the next fight for Kamaru Usman. I really don't understand an argument for anybody else getting a title shot. Um, and I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying Usman versus Edwards, too, will happen. The UFC does crazy shit sometimes. It wouldn't shock me if Hamzat got a title fight, which we'll get to him in a second. Um, but 
come on, Leon Edwards, uh, what is it, a nine-fight unbeaten streak? He was beating Bilal Muhammad. I don't even, I don't even count that as a no contest or a draw or whatever the fuck they, they, no, no contest. Uh, I, I don't even really count that. He would, he would have smoked him. He's a guy who's willing uh, to, to fight um, basically whoever. I mean, that, that's pretty evident from the Bilal Muhammad fight. I'm glad he got the fight against Nate Diaz, but. You know, Nate Diaz, uh, you know, his his fans are pretty annoying. So, you know, nobody really gives Leon Edwards the credit for beating Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz landed one big punch in a fight. He got dominated for, uh, you know, 24 minutes and 30 seconds. He just got his ass beat for, you know, half an hour and he lands one big punch and people just kind of, that's all people focus on. So, you know. Nate, Nate Diaz fans need to stay in school. They need to get their GED and, you know, give give Leon Edwards credit for beating, you know, that, that 500 fighter. But um, what what more can he do? I, like, honestly, like, if Leon Edwards doesn't get a title shot, just please release him. Like, what, what more could he do? D- do you need him to beat Vincente Luque? Do you need him to fight Wonderboy Thompson? Do you need him to beat Colby Covington? Like, what what more? You couldn't do more and not get a title shot than Leon Edwards has done. And he's never going to fight Colby. Colby will never accept a fight against Leon Edwards. Uh, He's probably not going to fight Gilbert. I couldn't imagine Gilbert agreeing to that. Maybe he does, but it's like the man's done enough. Give him a title shot. Uh, Kamara Usman is lapping people, you know, beating Covington twice, beating Masvidal twice. Second fight never should have happened. You know, if, if they're getting second shots, a far more deserving Leon Edwards deserves a second shot from a fight that happened six years ago and and in a fight that could be totally different today than it was back then I mean I still would obviously favor Usman heavily but we don't you know we don't know that that fight's not going to be different we don't know that Leon Edwards maybe doesn't have what it takes to to beat Usman so uh you know that fight certainly needs to happen uh speaking of Colby Covington we need him to fight Jorge Masvidal that's what the mailman wants um, obvious choice, especially with Masvidal falling out against Leon Edwards, which which certainly would have been a fun fight, but kind of an irrelevant fight, uh, you know, in terms of rankings. Relevant in terms of getting another big name on the resume. But, uh, you know, we need Covington and Masvidal. There's too much heat behind that. Um, they're not exactly fighters that do quick turnarounds, but, you know, maybe quarter one, quarter two, and, and couple it with uh, a season of the Ultimate Fighter, that would certainly bring the ultimate fighter back i thought covington should have uh coached the uh the last season of the ultimate fighter with jorge masvidal but let's bring the ultimate fighter back i promise you you know i don't think the current season of the ultimate fighter did anything rankings wise or or ratings wise excuse me i don't think anybody gave a fuck i stopped watching it midway through the season and then went back and i don't i don't even think i've finished the last couple of episodes so I didn't even know who was in the finale until I just you know saw it on Twitter but um no we we need we need to see this and that would be one of the highest rated seasons of the ultimate fighter uh it it would be electric I mean anytime Colby Covington is on on camera uh you know he, he he makes the most of it and there's genuine hatred here like we all know the Colby Covington thing is a is a a shtick you know and we saw how that ended with Usman just, you know, saying, hey, I'm trying to, you know, raise pay-per-view so I can get you paid. We know Colby Covington's a nice guy. 
I think he, it's very obvious he really fucking hates Jorge Masvidal. It is, that is not a gimmick. If there's one thing that's not a gimmick with Colby Covington, it's that he hates Jorge Masvidal, and that would be a fun fight. You make that. Honestly, that's a pay-per-view headliner. I'm not even kidding. Like uh, how UFC 244, how there was no title on the line, and fuck a BMF. I mean, that's you know, not a title. But, you know, that is a pay-per-view headliner. And uh, it's probably not going to be a pay-per-view headliner. It's too big of a fight to make a uh, f- as as a fight night. So it's probably a co-main on a pay-per-view. But with but but you make that five rounds. You don't you don't make that 15 minutes. That's one of the rare fights that gets the 25-minute exemption. That isn't a title fight and isn't in a main event. Uh, and then the last fight I want to see in the welterweight division, kind of a kind of a random one. But I would like to see Vincente Luque take on Hamzat Chemaev. I would like to see that happen. Now, this kind of goes under the uh, assumption that it's going to be Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards like I want it to be. So if that's the case, the welterweight title is kind of, you know, uh, on ice for a little bit because that fight has to take place. Um, and I, I don't think Vincente Luque has earned a title fight. I really like him, and I've, I've liked him for a long time before he was even in the rankings. So it's a fighter that I, I really like, but I don't really, think he's, I don't really think he's earned a title shot. I think there's more deserving fighters. Uh, clearly, Leon Edwards. I think, honestly, Gilbert, especially after beating Wonderboy Thompson. I mean, Vincente Luque hasn't beaten anybody higher, anybody who's ranked higher than Wonderboy Thompson. So even Gilbert, I think, would have a better case in my mind for another crack at that welterweight title. In reality, I don't think that that's how that goes. But, you know, we're kind of stuck with Vincente Luque being in the same spot as Leon Edwards, where you can win a bunch of fights, and the Woodley fight does help because he was a former champ, but you kind of have to beat names. Now, he's a very exciting fighter, so it really doesn't matter who you throw him in there against. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. You throw him in there against Kamaru Usman, he'll be a fucking plus 1,000 underdog, but it's still it's still going to be a fun fucking fight, and he's going to bring it, and he's going to push Kamaru, even if, you know, I think Kamaru would, would handedly, handedly win that fight. Um, but he's he, he, he needs a name, and, and Hamzat is a name. And, you know, in this case scenario, Colby's busy, Masvidal's busy, Kamaru's busy, Edwards is busy. That really leaves... Gilbert Burns uh, as the only fighter ahead of him who doesn't have a fight. I don't see that fight uh, happening. I, I actually like Hamzat a lot better. Uh, Hamzat a lot better. I think Luke beating Hamzat would do a lot more for his career than uh, a win over Gilbert would, would do. And stylistically, oh, well, and then Hamzat, obviously, you know, we have him... Let me just double check. The UFC has him at 11. We have him at, let's see here, 11 as well. Okay, so we both have him at 11. You know, for Hamzat, this would just catapult him into the rankings. I mean, that would burst him right into the top five. And it's the highest ranked fighter that uh, he, he realistically could get that isn't booked for a fight. So it's the biggest jump he could take. And it would be a real challenge. Uh, Luke is very hard to finish. Uh, he's got a hard head, probably the best chin in the UFC, and he's pretty hard to, to choke out as well. So it would really test Hamzat. You know, I, I think we would see... I don't think Hamzat would finish Luke. I don't think he would. 
So we would see Hamzat have to fight for 15 minutes. Maybe he grapple fucks him uh, and, and dominates him for 15 minutes. Maybe he boxes with him for 15 minutes. But if if Chimaev could put away Luke in any fashion, I would be. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you know I would be beyond impressed if he could do that. So I think it presents a pretty big challenge for Hamzat. And, you know, both fighters, kind of a theme that we see in mailman's matchmaking, because matchmaking should have a purpose. You know, both fighters have a lot to win uh, and, and a lot to gain in, in a fight like this. So that would just be amazing to see Chimaev uh, fight Luke. Uh, moving on now to the... Actually, I guess this is a welterweight fight. You could make it at, at, uh, at lightweight. But um, I want to see Tony Ferguson move up to 170 and fight Nate Diaz. Let's just have a fun fight. Let's just have a fight. You know, Tony Ferguson will never work his way to a title. He's been dominated in, uh, you know, his last three fights, finished uh, in, in the Gaethje fight. Let's let's have a stylistically fun fight. You know, Tony Ferguson is uh, maybe not as good of a grappler as Nate Diaz, but a dangerous grappler, a fucking kooky guy, a guy who does weird Iminari roles. You know, maybe could do some shit Nate hasn't seen inside the octagon. Uh, he, in his prime, he was a good striker. He's kind of been outstruck uh, pretty badly uh, lately. Hasn't won since uh, June of 2019. But, you know, dangerous striker, good knees, good elbows. Nate Diaz, we know he's a fucking amazing boxer. Uh, tough chin. And Tony's pretty tough to finish as well. I mean, it, it took a lot for Justin to, to finish him. Again, this is a fight you would put over five rounds. You don't ever do a Nate Diaz fight on any place on the card that isn't five rounds and it'd be, it would be a fun fight i mean that whatever pay-per-view you put that on would would be a contender for you know the highest selling pay-per-view of the year that's just a that's just a fight that um the weight class doesn't really matter the stakes don't really matter the fact that tony's on a three-fight losing streak and the fact that nate diaz is on a losing streak wouldn't really matter it's just it doesn't matter, you know, the circumstances don't matter. It's kind of an evergreen fight that, uh, you know, uh, Tony Ferguson has a huge fan base. Nate Diaz probably has the biggest fan base uh, in, in the UFC. So, you know, that would really excite the fans. Uh, it'd, it'd be good fan service. And, and you know, it just would be a, a fun fight, maybe a bit of a, a legacy fight, I suppose, because, you know, these guys aren't working their way back to the, the title or they're not working their way up a division. And really, you could do like I said, the division doesn't really matter. So you could make this a catchweight if you wanted. I know Dana really hates catchweights, but, you know, given Tony Ferguson's moving up and Nate Diaz is, is a smaller welterweight, bigger lightweight, maybe you want to put that at 160, 165 or something like that. Uh, but it'd be a, a great, great fight for uh, both fighters uh, because it would get them paid. That, that, that's, that's just a fun one to do. Uh, all right, now moving to the featherweight division. This kind of kind of comes off of uh, a recent uh, Twitter post or Instagram post, for all I know. I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't really know. But uh, the the recent news that Dan Hooker weighs 145.8 pounds and told uh, featherweights to watch out. Okay, well I'm taking notice. Uh, Dan Hooker, I would like him to move down to featherweight and take on the Korean zombie. I think that would be an awesome fight. 
Uh, I am a little dubious of Dan Hooker going back down to featherweight. I know he did it for uh, you know a little bit of time before moving up to to lightweight. He didn't really have a whole ton of success uh, at featherweight when he got to the higher higher levels. So I'm just a I'm just a little bit concerned because he is a very big boy. But you know I've been surprised before. You know Frankie Edgar going down to bantamweight that sounds like a terrible idea, but he did it. He you know he made weight. I, I think he's losing because he's old. I don't think he's losing because he's physically depleted. You know from weight cutting. You know Aldo when he was towards the end of his his time at featherweight. You know a lot of people when they were talking about him switching divisions, we're talking about him going up to lightweight and entering that fun, you know, little uh, Grand Prix there up at uh, lightweight. And, you know, he went down to bantamweight. So I don't know if there's been advances in technology or advances in, you know, weight cutting methods, but it seems like a lot of fighters are kind of defying the odds and moving down and having Edson Barbosa is a, a perfect example. I mean, that dude is fucking huge. I don't think he could cut one more ounce uh, at at featherweight, but he does it, and he's been having success. So you know, maybe maybe it is something Dan Hooker uh, could do. And when you move weight classes, it's almost like you're getting a fresh uh, coat of paint. You know, it's almost like you've never lost at featherweight. And typically when you when you move down and you're in name, you get a pretty big opportunity. You know, like Chris Weidman lost a million fights at middleweight, but when he went up to light heavyweight, he fought Dominic Reyes, who was, I think, in the top 10. He never should have been fighting a top 10. And obviously we know how that turned out, but the point that he got that fight, that never, that never should have happened. You know, Frankie Edgar moving down and fighting Pedro Munoz. I mean, that, that never should have happened. He should have fought somebody lower. So sometimes you can kind of game the system by, by moving down a division. And you kind of would be doing that with the Korean Zombie just because uh, we have the Korean Zombie sitting at number three. So, you you know, Dan Hooker's not going to get a, uh, you know, a top three opponent at lightweight given, uh, you know, how his last handful of fights have turned out. But he could get a top three fight uh, at featherweight and then you're kind of on a short list to fight for the title now you know I, I don't really um, know how that would work because Volkanovski is the champ but maybe you fight Holloway maybe you know there's a lot of other fights you could you could do but point being when you switch divisions sometimes you can kind of actually cheat the ranking system and, and get a fight that you probably couldn't get number wise uh, in your original uh, division but uh, you know, the Korean zombie, great boxer. Uh, uh, Dan Hooker, great kickboxer, good power. Easily a fight night main event and, and just a fun fight. You know, I don't really know what's going on with the Korean zombie. He doesn't have a fight booked. Um, but, you know, that could be a, that could be a fun little fight to, to have and, and kind of insert Dan Hooker right into, the, right into the thick of things at featherweight. And Dan Hooker's a very active fighter. And the one thing, I, the one thing I've I've said about the featherweight division, the last like year, really two years, almost three years, it, it's it, is that the top ten is so inactive. Like fighters in the top ten at featherweight do not fight. There are so many active fighters, uh, you know, from ten to fifteen and and below, uh, that are young prospects that are probably a year or two away. 
from being title contenders, but the top guys are just so greedy. They don't want to fight. Like Brian Ortega, he fights once every every eight years, you know, never wants to fight, somehow gets a title shot against Volkanovski, uh, you know, despite having one win in three years. Uh, Holloway's obviously active. Yair doesn't fight for like two and a half years. The Korean Zombie, uh, he's been getting more active, but, you know, there was a stretch there where he kind of wasn't fighting. Uh, you know, Calvin Cater hasn't fought in a year. You know, it's almost like once you work your way up to a, once you work your way up to a certain level at featherweight, you, you just basically retire. You're basically semi-retired once you get in the top 10. But the, but outside of the top 10 or, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, there are a lot of active fighters. Like, you know, the, the guys trying to bust their ass to get up there like Giga or, or Dan Ige or uh, Evloev. You know, those guys are fighting often, but you know, it's these other guys that uh, don't fight so much. So I, I would like that, you know, kind of inject some uh, life into that top five, top ten. All right, moving on uh, to the bantamweight division. We got two fights I would like to see. Uh, we're going to have uh, Corey Sandhagen taking on uh, Marab Davalishvili. I would love to see this. Um, Corey Sandhagen, active fighter. Marab, active fighter. And Sandhagen strikes me as a guy who, who not only wants to stay active, but he wants to challenge himself against the toughest fights out there. And that's the toughest fight that's not currently, uh, you know, on, on the books. And that kind of would keep him pretty, pretty relevant you know, they have Marab at six. I think we have Marab at six as well. Uh, Corey's sitting there at three. But Corey doesn't, you know, it, it might behoove Corey to just kind of sit there and, and, and take some time and not rush back in to fight because, well, the, the bantamweight title picture is going to take a little while to play out. You know, you don't really gain much from winning, uh, but you could lose from, from losing. But, you know, uh, Rob Font is scheduled to fight Aldo. You got Aldo at five, uh, TJ, because of the fight against Corey, um, I don't think you run that back right away, but you really couldn't if you wanted because TJ is dealing with the surgery. Obviously, Aljamain's fighting Peter, uh, Peter Yan. Cody Garbrandt at seven is going down to flyweight, so you know, and, and uh, uh, Pedro Munoz is going to fight Dominic Cruz. So, really, you know, you're playing musical chairs, and you don't. Uh, you don't have a partner if you're Corey Sandhagen, so you don't really want to be left behind, and he wants to stay active. So, you know, go out there and, and fight Marab. Uh, it would be a fun fight. Marab, um, you know, one hell of a chin, as we found out in the Marlon Marais fight, but just a smothering wrestler, one of the most active uh, fighters in the UFC when it comes to ground stats, you know, when it comes to takedowns and, and, and things like that. So I think it'd be interesting to see how Marab could deal with the striking of Corey, how Corey could deal with the wrestling of Marab. And, uh, you know, it, it, it keeps Corey relevant by beating a very tough guy on a, on a pretty, pretty extensive winning streak. And then for Marab, you know, it would put you in the top three. I mean, you, you kind of would, would be the next in line for a title shot uh, if you could get past Corey Sandhagen, who the UFC certainly uh, uh, enjoys. So I think that would be a, a pretty fun fight I would like to see uh, that you probably could turn around and, and do relatively quickly, you know, maybe in the next three or four months. Uh, and then the 
other uh, bantamweight fight I would like to see, kind of a random one, kind of a random one, and it's between two fighters who are completely left out of the UFC's bantamweight division. Now, they both are technically ranked. We don't have one of these fighters ranked in, in our rankings. But for the UFC rankings, both of these guys are in the top 12. But they're, they're a million miles away from being relevant in the division. They're on bad losing streaks. So let's match them up again for the third time. Let's have a trilogy between Rafael Asuncao and Marlon Marais. Uh, I believe Asuncao won the first fight. Marlon Marais won the second fight. Let's, let's have a little trilogy here. Trilogies are fun. Uh, we need to get down to the rubber match here. Marlon Marais, good fighter, almost beat uh, Marab before he got finished. But this is a guy who's uh, on a three-fight losing streak, has not won uh, since a very controversial uh, split decision win over Jose Aldo in December of 2019. So re- practically speaking, he's on a five-fight losing streak and hasn't won since February of 2019, where he choked out Rafael Asuncao uh, in in the main event of uh, Fight Night Asuncao versus Marais too. So, you know, this is a guy who has not won a fight since fighting Asuncao. I don't think Asuncao's won a fight uh, for for even longer. Uh, he's on a three-fight losing streak. He has not won a fight since UFC 226 uh, in July of 2018 against Rob Font. Last got knocked out. Uh, basically a year and a half ago by Cody Garbrandt. So it's two fighters who really need a win, really are left out of the, the division. I mean, there are so many relevant fighters, relevant young fighters, prospects in this extremely loaded bantamweight division. Let's kind of match up two outcasts and, and put them together and, and see what happens. You know, there's a storyline here. It's one apiece. And, you know, it'd, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I, I think Marlon Marais probably would win and, and, you know, get back to his winning ways. But, you know, in a division that has, you know, Aljamain, Jan, Dillashaw, Sandhagen, Aldo, uh, Dominic Cruz is still kicking around. And then, you know, think about the guys who aren't even ranked who are probably more relevant than those two. You know, Adrian Yanez, you know, what is that blue chip prospect going to do? You know, these guys... They're, they're, they're kind of separated from the pack. So, you know, let's have an old man fight at bantamweight and, you know, see what happens. Uh, all right, moving on now to uh, I, I have three female fights I would like to see. Two of them uh, fairly obvious, but, you know, might need saying. And then one of them uh, I don't think I've heard anybody uh, talk about just yet. So we'll, we'll start in the bantamweight division. Uh... We need Valentina Shevchenko, Amanda Nunes, three. That's clearly the fight to make. Uh, Nunes, I don't need to see her up at featherweight. That's a sham division, uh, you know, with with sham fights. I don't need to see her fight fucking Norma Dumont. I don't need to see her knock out Norma Dumont in 30 seconds. Uh, So I'm not even considering anything at 145. Uh, And then at uh, at bantamweight, I mean, what what do you do? You have, uh, I guess she's going to fight Juliana Pena next. She'll dispatch of her very easily, very quickly, probably in under a round. So she could do a quick turnaround if she wanted. And Shevchenko does quick turnarounds as as well. So Shevchenko probably could get squeeze in another fight at flyweight uh, before this trilogy happens, maybe, you know, in April or May of uh, 2022. 
Um, but it, but you know, it's like Nunes has cleaned out the bantamweight division. You know, I think people were hoping that Misha Tate could get a win so they could get a rematch between those two. That what that fight still would have been murder. Nunes would have absolutely murked her. I don't need to see her fight Jermaine Duran to me for the eighth time. I don't need to see her fight Holly Holm for the eighth time. Uh, no interest in, in seeing Irene Aldana or Aspen Ladd or Ketlin Vieira. Actually, a little bit. A little bit of interest with Ketlin Vieira, but not enough to, to you know make me pull the trigger. And Valentina has completely cleaned out the flyweight division. So what do you do when that happens? Uh, you know, put those two fighters uh, against each other. Um Valentina won the second fight. That's one of the biggest robberies I've ever seen in MMA was uh, UFC 215 uh, where Nunes won. She didn't win that fight. It's one apiece. Uh, Even if it's not one apiece, uh, which it is, you know, they've been so dominant in their division. It's just like that can't be good for Amanda Nunes. Like that Amanda Nunes can't make money by beating up Juliana Pena like obviously she gets paid to do it but like that can't be good for her career like does anybody care like nobody really gives a fuck about Amanda Nunes she doesn't bring it some of the worst selling pay-per-views of all time or not all time but some of the worst selling pay-per-views uh you know in the modern era you know like since like UFC 200 have been pay-per-views that Amanda Nunes has headlined like UFC 224 where she fought Raquel Pennington, I think that's the worst-selling pay-per-view since, uh, you know, or you know, in the UFC 200s era. So nobody really cares about Amanda Nunes. You know, liars will tell you that Amanda Nunes is is relevant and people care about her. You know, people who want to simp and you know defend Amanda Nunes. But you look at any metric, nobody cares, and that's just a fact. So are people going to care if she beats up? It's like, it's becoming Cyborg where it's like, and Cyborg's doing the same shit over in Bellator where it's like, oh, I'll fight Olga Rubin and and just beat the shit out of her. You know, I'll fight Sinead Kavanaugh. Like, I'll just fight these random bums at 145 and then, you know, amass a lot of knockouts and a lot of wins and people will tell me how good I am because I'm in a division that doesn't exist and I'm just beating up soccer moms. That's kind of what it's becoming with Amanda Nunes. So give her a real test. That would legitimately be a very real test um, that you don't you don't know Amanda Nunes would win. I would probably favor, to be honest, I actually probably would favor Shevchenko, but, you know, even be generous and say, oh, it's Amanda's division. You know, you don't know for a fact Amanda Nunes is going to win if she fights Shevchenko. You know for a fact Amanda Nunes is going to beat Juliana Pena. There's no question. Take anybody... Take anybody you know, in the top 15, you know Nunez will beat them. It's, it's not even close. So give her a real challenge. That might make people care. That might sell you know, a couple of uh, uh, paper, pay-per-views if, if you put that fight together. That actually you know, might boost up the popularity, uh, which certainly they've been trying to do to no success uh, over the last handful of years. And then for Nunez, you know, it gives her the chance to right the ship. I mean, she should have already been the bantamweight champion because... She won back in, uh, when was to, that was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Fall 2017. So, you know, she should have already been there. Uh, speaking of Valentina Shevchenko and her division, uh, the one fight I want to see happen in the, uh, in the flyweight division is, uh, Talia Santos versus Jessica Andrade or Caitlin Chukagian. 
like we said on the uh, preview and recap show for last week, Talia Santos is on a four-fight winning streak. Nobody's on a winning streak in, in the flyweight division. I mean, people maybe could string together two wins before losing. It's such a topsy-turvy, topsy-turvy up-and-down division. Uh, so a, a four-fight winning streak is basically as impressive in, in the in the women's flyweight division as you know Demetrius Johnson's fucking twelve title defenses. I mean, it's quite the accomplishment to win four fights in a row in that division. Uh, seems to be a legitimate title contender. Uh, pretty well-rounded fighter. Finishing ability looked good against Joanne Calderwood. I don't want to throw her to the wolves just yet, although that's a possibility. Let's have her beat a, a, a bona fide top contender, and that's why I don't care if it's Andrade or Chukagian. I'm not even going to talk about what's at stake for them. I don't really care about them. They're they're boring. They would get smoked by Shevchenko if, if they ever fought again, and I don't want to ever see them fight Shevchenko again. So really, it's just Talia Santos focusing on her, hoping that she's the, the, the future of the division that we can prop up, or at least somebody that can make something interesting with Valentina because she's too successful for her own good uh you know and those would be two pretty tough tests for Santos especially Jessica Andrade I think Santos probably could work her way through Chukagian pretty convincingly especially considering Chukagian is uh very bad on the ground so Santos could probably take her down and finish her right away if they stood up and and and, uh you know kickboxed you know maybe then things would get a little interesting but Santos is well-rounded enough uh, and then Andrade will be interesting because you know you're just you're you're just fighting uh, you know a, a a cannonball at that point. So just something big for Talia Santos and just putting all your eggs in the Santos basket for uh, you know making the uh, the flyweight division interesting. And then the last fight I want to see not a very um, creative one, but I would like to see Yuanni and Jacek and Weili Zhang too. You know with Weili losing to Rose twice. You know, going to be tough to work your way back into the uh, the strawweight title picture uh, as long as she's the uh, the champion. Uh, Yoana, I think they removed her from the rankings because of inactivity. That's kind of crazy, but uh, we kind of are coming up on almost two years, uh, about a year and a half since that uh, the the first fight between those two fighters. It's the greatest female fight of all time. So you know, the 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 match making really makes sense. Uh, at, at this point, maybe you even do it at 125. Maybe maybe both fighters move up and you go to 125. Uh, I would much, and then you know if you put that fight up at 125, maybe it's a title eliminator. I mean the the flyweight division is so weak. I know that would be their both of those fighters debut. Uh, well, actually not Ioana's, but uh, you know that'd be the the return for Ioana in quite some time to to 125 and the debut for Whaley at 125. But honestly. Tell me that the winner of Joanna Whaley 2 wouldn't be deserving of a title shot in a division that, you know, is just so devoid of uh, high-level talent like those two fighters. You know, I would much rather see Joanna Shevchenko 2 than basically anything you could organically create in the flyweight division. Uh, Whaley would be would be interesting uh, to see as well. So maybe maybe that's the one difference. And I don't even think there has has to be a difference you know, if that fight took place at straw weight, I'd be totally cool with it. But maybe that's the one kind of, you know, wrench you throw in there. You put it up at 125, see if anything anything changes. So, you know, really it doesn't matter the weight class you do that at. I think it'd be a very fun fight. And, uh, you know, if you do it at 125, you know, maybe there's some title implications. 
all right. So with that, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, kind of extended mailman's matchmaking there. I thought that would go a little quicker, but is what it is. Try to do those a little more often. Uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Got to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. Uh, be sure to leave a uh, five-star review wherever you're uh, listening. Check out our rankings. We uh, update them weekly. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.